0: for 50% off, visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com L-E-V-A-R. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell
1: like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love, Beauty, and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online
0: at Target.com. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. And the only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and... I hope you will, too. Happy 2019, y'all. We've got some more live episodes to share with you. And next up is a story recorded in Atlanta, Georgia. It's by the author Roshni Chakshi. She's the New York Times bestselling author of Arusha and the End of Time, The Star-Touched Queen, A Crown of Wishes, and The Gilded Wolves. She's been nominated for both the Locus and the Nebula Awards, and she has a beautiful and lyrical style that I'm very excited to share with you. The musician playing with me on today's story is Anand Vyas. He's a multi-instrumentalist who plays 13 instruments, including violin, piano, and the flute. For this particular recording, Anand played guitar, tabla, and the sitar. Oh, and just one more thing before I begin. Today's story is inspired by the ancient tale of the poison maiden, or as the word Vishakanya literally translates, venomous girl. And remember, stay tuned after the story ends for my on stage conversation with Roshni. And now, enjoy. Let us take a deep breath. And begin. The Vishakanya's Choice by Rashni Choksi. Do you have an assignment today? Sudamu swallowed nervously. Uruvashi shook her head. No, today I wear red in honor of your virgin kill. There was no blood on her hands, but Sudha's mind wasn't convinced. Unless they were on assignment, all Vishakanyas wore white. But today, Uruvashi wore an ox blood lanka, and a choker of rubies sat at the hollow of her throat. Suda shuddered. Do you have to call it that? You should be proud, said Urabashi, gliding across the moonlit room to stroke Suda's hair. There are so many girls with bad fortune who never had this choice. Suda bit her lip. She remembered the day the village soothsayer entered her father's shop and deciphered the vague language of her stars. They said... Her fate was nothing but young widowhood. They called it a blessing when they brought her to the Hastipanur harem, told her she'd avoided a terrible fate and fed her enough poison to make her touch toxic. Did we have a choice? An honest one? A real choice? The smile slipped off Uruvashi's face. Suda, our horoscopes were all the same. Widowed early, no children, no prospects. Why would anyone choose that? Don't be flippant. The kind of choice you're talking about belongs only to kings. Suda shrugged. Maybe her husband would have been a kind man with a warm touch. Maybe he would have fed her salty corn and rose lassi instead of poisoned bread and toxic treacle. Maybe she would have accepted the consequences of widowhood. Forced invisibility, windows shut tight to her shadow. A lifetime of isolation. Just to know what it meant to live. What about she bound her in red silk? And Suda grimaced when she caught her reflection. Red magnified her bones, widened her girth, flecked her skin with garnets, and swelled her with bloodlust. It made her look demonic, not beautiful. When you get there, the red sari will guide you to the assignment. And when you've finished, the red sari will take you back to us. How do you know they won't kill me on the spot for showing up? Uravashi looked shocked. Do you think I'd send you to your death? Suda said nothing. You are a peace offering in disguise, said Urvashi. They are expecting you. Other conquered countries have also sent their courtesans as tributes. It has all been arranged. Suda nodded resigned. Already, she felt the silk jostling against her as though it was anxious to get on with the assignment. Together, they walked into the courtyard. Concentric circles of clay dias gleamed around them like a thousand luminous eyes. Like everything in the Hastinapur harem, the courtyard abided the rule. No breathing creature broke its microcosm of uncut rubies and stoic marble. From the first time Suda stepped foot inside its walls, the sisters pressed the rule in the hollow of her mouth and lay the poison treacle on the grainy palapa of her tongue. Swallow it. Remember it, they said. Riddles started as... A distraction. The first time she ate poison, she thought the world had pinched and convulsed around her. The sisters knew they could give her no sweet treat or cool water to relieve the pain, so they fed her a riddle. Kings won't see it, but perhaps it is there. The heavens will never know it, for no one goes there. What is it? Suda choked on the poison. Her eyes burned, nausea coiled in her gut, but her mind worked fiendishly, distractingly. When she looked into the grinning faces of her sisters, she said her answer around a mouthful of bitterness. They're equals. Her first taste of the rule came a year later. She had spent the day sitting by the fountain when a stray kitten appeared beside her. It should have been a harmless caress. All she wanted was to feel the silky underside of its tummy. But the moment she did, it was dead. Her scream bounced off the harem's stone walls, summoning the sisters who covered her, sheathed her, licked the tears from her jaw, and spat them into her hair. Don't waste the poison, said Rupa, forcing her tears back down her throat. If you want something to kiss, kiss us said tara brushing her lips across her temples if you want something to hold hold us said vina bringing suda's head to her bosom but never touch a living thing said Ushvini, slapping her face not until your time has come said uravashi pushing a burning coal plucked from thin air into her palms suda kicked against their ministrations, her eyes wide. Are we not living things? Uravashi shook her head as she sucked her burned finger. We are weapons. We can't afford to live. That was the first and last day Suda forgot the rule. It was the last day of her life as a girl and the first day of her consummate life as a weapon. Like any other weapon, deployment depended on the kingdom. The Kalinga kingdom hoarded their weapons, letting them rust and rest. The Udra kingdom hid their weapons beneath the floors, letting them listen and lurk. But the Hastapanur kingdom cultivated their armaments with silk and song. Every day, the sisters fed her poison. The only thing that changed was the riddles. Even when she became accustomed to the taste, even when she did not need the distraction, she played with the riddles. To her, they were like mirrors, tilted to refract the light and seek out hidden corners, a different way of seeing. Sometimes when Sudha looked in the mirror, she saw a girl on the cusp of a murderess. Perhaps if she tilted her head Flipping the image in her mind like the words of a riddle, she could transform, too. Kneeling by her feet, Uravashi dipped Suda's toes in henna and drew whirls of mango blossoms, trellises of jasmine, and intricate paisleys along her calf. Suda shivered from the mendi's cold touch, but she never spoke a word. Dance like an apsara, mesmerize him with the rhythm of his own blood, whispered Asini. Seeing as though you're summoning the heavens, silver your voice and bare your throat, commanded Veena. Speak sparingly, warned Uravashi. The longer you talk, the harder it will be. When you speak, be witty, added Rupa, and never arouse his emotion, only his uh, enough. Hist the sari guided Suda's footsteps, tugging her out of the Hastapanur harem and deep into the damp jungle. From the corner of her eye, an inky panther slid into the embrace of a banyan tree. Pearlescent moths fluttered past her, drawn to the torches her sisters held high above their heads. Suda's chest tightened. She wanted to sink her elbows into the ground, feel its slick microcosms. She wanted the rough roots to blur the henna, rob her limbs of their ornaments, strip the incense from her skin. But she stood still and watched her sisters throw fiery torches into the river, summoning the Makara. In the past... Suda had never stepped outside to bid her sister's farewell, so all she ever saw of the Makara was a silver silhouette in the water. She knew it was a monster of metal, impervious to the Vishakanya's touch, and the only transportation they could use without revealing their true nature. Now, to see the creature up close, it felt alien. ...and dangerous. Two luminous eyes broke the water's surface and out trundled the makara, its silvery back shining like corrugated metal. Hmm, another assignment. It said, eyeing them, your emperor is bloodthirsty these days. Without a word, Sudha boarded the Makara's back. The Makara rolled its lantern eyes and water frothed around its nostrils. As Sudha watched her sisters glittering on the banks, she curled her toes. The Makara wiggled beneath her. You're trembling, Vishakanya. Don't call me that. A poison maiden? (laughs) But that's what you are. A school of silver fish swam past them, and before she could wonder where they were headed, the makara guzzled them. She shivered and rubbed her arms. Even now, she could feel the fish's desperate flapping through the makara's skin. They were all drowning, all their silver scales dissolving into opalescent gastric juice. Her stomach flipped. Was that... How all prey felt. You picked a bad trade to have a conscience, said the Makara. Suda steeled her nerves. I don't have a conscience. <laughs> yes, you do, silly girl. Silly choice. I never had one, Suda said tightly. As if in response, the red sari constricted. Her hand flew to her stomach as she sucked in a deep breath, challenging the scarlet. She held on to the breath until she felt lightheaded, until she felt the threads panicking and unraveling. This was her breath, and no one could take it, but perhaps she'd gone too far. Within seconds, the red gathered into a knot, pummeling against her stomach and releasing her lungs. Up ahead, the river converged at an ivory port strewn with golden marigolds, pink carnations, and wreaths of jasmine. Unlike the stony beauty of the Hastinapur harem, bedecked in cold gemstones and silts, the city before her seemed burgeoning with all living things. I hope those slippers are thick. A trail of withered flowers is rather obvious." I'll be here when your deed is done, Vishakanya. it said, flipping onto its back and floating in the water. She pulled the crimson veil over her face. My name is Suda. Double checking for holes in her slippers, Sudha slipped into the crowd, past the port, Glittering amber tents sprawled across the valley. Silver reflection pools filled with ambrosia and wine dotted the shores of the river. White tables piled high with savory dal. Crispy paratha and creamy kir lay near a group of musicians. The city was celebrating the victories of a man who would soon be dead. Suda walked past the feast, her eyes demurely fixed, on the ground, beside her, an emerald seahorse whinnied into the neck of a buxom apsara. Across from them, a host of Gandharvas played the lute, and the horned asuras swayed in dance. Suda wanted to stay and hear the music, but already the sari was pulling her past the crowds and into an amber tent. any. Attempt she made to dig her heels into the ground was immediately rewarded by a constricting sensation. In the back of her mind, she heard Uruvashi scolding her. Before her was a glorious opportunity to bring honor to the Hastipenur kingdom and finally embrace her sister's legacy. But Suda bristled and dug her nails into her arms. Just a moment Longer amongst the trees, one more second of life, of music. The moment she fulfilled her assignment, the damp walls of Hastapanur, Harem would swallow, quarantine, and hide her. When she grew old within its marble courtyard, when her veins stooped under the weight of poison, what then? Would they give her a poison her body couldn't metabolize? What memories would she tuck under her tongue other than a snatch of light, a half-chorus of music, and the smell of the jungle? The sari didn't care for her reflections. It yanked her along, pulling her through the opening of an amber tent so quickly she could only glimpse the name in a blur. Tributes to the Emperor Alexander!
1: You can do this when you Angie that.
0: Now, let's get back to our story. When she emerged on the other side, her skin crawled. Alexander was not a handsome man. His skin was extremely pale. Only the broken blood vessels along his nose and knuckles broke the expanse of graying skin. He sat on a throne of bleached bones, a conquered soldier's helmet beneath each foot and under each arm. And above him, a thousand rib cages bolstered the tent, dampening the silk and staining it with marrow. Sudda wanted to leave this hollow tent, but the sari immobilized her, and her arms stiffened. The other tributes queued in front of Alexander's throne, forming a bizarre menagerie. There was a man covered head to toe in gold, a man with coins along his spine, and a man wrapped in thorns. There were feathers of metal, diadems of glass, and outfits of flowers. There were people impossibly tall, impossibly short, and impossibly average. And then there was Suda. Alexander braced his elbows on his knees, surveying them. Today I celebrate the win of yet another war campaign, and because nothing staves off boredom like company, I intend to choose one from among you, he said. Alexander's voice was worn and weighed. He rose pushing on his waxen knees as he surveyed them. I could filter you out by beauty or age or color, but I don't care for that. You see, after my wound was infected, he drew aside his tunic, revealing a curdled stretch of skin the color of an eggplant. I... Don't have much time left anyway, and perhaps it is my impending mortality or my own boredom that has made me realize that only the mind can give me pleasure. All else pales, withers, or rots. The scribe beetle nodded beside him, clicked its pincers, and scribbled something on a leaf. As Alexander walked the line, elation swelled through Suda as she tugged at her sari. If Alexander was going to die anyway, why did she need to be here? Suda grit her teeth and tried to fall forward or back, but the silk held fast, binding her to the spot. It would not accept terminal infection as completion of the assignment. Alexander stood in front of the gold-painted man. Tell me, what is my worth? The gold-painted man balked. Sire? Alexander leaned in, his hawkish nose bumping against the man's. What is my worth? When he drew away, the man's paint had smudged. Rivulets of sweat stripped away the gold man's paint, revealing kaleidoscopic skin that shimmered and glittered. All the gold in the world? Huh, Alexander shrugged. Boring. He pushed the man away and wiped his hands on the front of his tunic. Next, he came to the man with the coins along his back. What is my worth? You are worth your weight in salt, your majesty. Alexander snorted, boring. He moved to the man in thorns. What do you think? You're worth your weight in a man's blood, sire. Alexander swiped the sternum of the man wrapped in thorns, piercing his flesh. A weird smile slipped onto his face as he leaned forward and sucked the man's broken skin. For a moment, Suda thought she was saved, but then Alexander backed away. I have seen all the blood in a man, and it weighs far less than me. Her heart fell as he walked towards her. What is my worth? Suda stopped struggling against the sari and squared her shoulders. She did not want to answer him, but the question intrigued her. In the Hastinapur harem, riddles were her only solace. She thought about the revelers outside the tent, the bones along the walls, and the patient regard in his eyes. She thought about his military campaigns. Conquests, an inevitable end. She knew the answer, but didn't want to say it. She tried something obviously wrong, like light or happiness, but the sorry wouldn't let her. Well, pressed Alexander, she fought the sorry as long as she could, but in the end... Legends, she gulped, her voice Barely above a whisper, speak up, Suda swallowed. Legends, you're worth your weight in legends. Alexander grinned and clapped his hands together. I shall interview this one personally. The beetle nodded, clicked its pincers, and dismissed the room. Alexander leaned against his throne and rubbed his distended stomach. Interesting. What is, my lord? No need to bother with the formalities of title, but what do I call you? Do toxins even have names? Suda's head snapped up. He knew what she was. Her heart fluttered. Monkshood, Helbor, and Oleander beg to differ, she said. Suda also Disagrees with you. (laughs) Alexander laughed. Very interesting. Her gaze darted around the room. Any minute now, someone would barrel through the room and kill her. An assassin had no place in an emperor's company. No one will harm you, said Alexander, following her gaze. In fact, (coughs) I believe your emperor and I want the same thing. Alexander cleared his throat, kneading the heels of his palms into his sunken eyes. I'm very tired, but I want more than rest, he said, peering at her from the lattice of his fingers. You see, I am already a legend, already. They call me Alexander the Great. I lived unlike any man and I shall die unlike any man. He yawned and Suda stared at him. Alexander's body seemed engorged with other people's blood and he pulled out of his throne of bones like thinned milk. Life clung to him in wisps. I was planning on framing My companion of the evening Everybody likes a good murder He said with a shrug But this (coughs) This is a much better option Suda clenched her fingers Even now She was just a weapon The only difference was that her task Had switched allegiance She walked in a circle Around the tent Towing its amber edges And stroking its fractured femurs And metatarsals With each stroke, Alexander shivered. He had absorbed his conquests and sat at their core. Finally, she glanced up, and what she saw rooted her to the spot. All around Alexander, glowing choices lined his walls. They were signs of his importance, a currency of power. They were bottled and distilled, shimmering, or inky, reflecting all that he could do, a choice for decisions, a choice for food, a choice for listening. Suda's heart constricted in envy. I will not last through the night, he said, wheezing. Her eyes widened and a smile slipped onto her face. All she had to do was wait him out. She would never need to touch him, never need to kill. Then I'm not needed, she said, speaking more to the sorry than to Alexander. (laughs) But you make all the difference. How? Alexander gave a brittle laugh. When this disease has its way, (laughs) my bowels will spill out and stain this throne black and red with my own shit. I'll wear a death mask of constipation, hardly fitting for legendary conqueror, dying in a puddle of his own shit. He paused and stared at Sudo. But if you would only Kiss me once, my my death would be different. It would have dignity. I would be frozen the way I am now. Alas, still ugly as shit, but at least not covered in it. So, poison girl, you shall make me into myth. And fuse me into legend. If she did nothing, the emperor of hastinapur could celebrate his enemy's humiliating end. If she did something, Alexander could celebrate a death with dignity. And Suda, no matter what she did, She had no option but to return to the Hastinapur harem, her poison intact, her sorry unbroken, and her deadliness tested. But what about a choice, a real one? Not the kind watered down to a word, but a glittering choice, the kind you could hold in your hand, the kind you could taste, the kind that could free you. That kind that lined the walls of Alexander's great tent. What will you give me in return, she asked. Alexander laughed and the silk tent trembled. <laughs> Murderous, that makes bargains. I didn't count on that. My name is Suda, she bit out, her eyes narrowing to slits. At once, Alexander stopped laughing. He braced his elbows on his knees, his chin resting on his wasted wrists. Vishakanyas don't have names. I do. Then what do you want? He said, raising his arms, sagging pearly skin stretched far beyond his elbows, exposing the indigo seams of his life. Shall I make you my wife with my dying breath? bequeath you an empire, give you your weight in gold. Suda did not want to belong to him. She did not want to govern an empire. She did not want riches. Even now, the red sari was compressing her, pulling her towards Alexander. And in that moment, Suda knew what she wanted. I want a choice, said Suda in a clear voice. amber tent shrank as though its shoulders had fallen or its bones felt sympathy for her. Alexander considered her. (laughs) My mother was like that too, he said fondly, full of bite. She always wanted things out of her reach. Why shouldn't she, countered Suda, you have so many choices. You could spare some Alexander steepled his fingers His gaze fell on his wound I did not deny you Suda tried and failed to steady the frantic thump of her heart Was he considering giving one to her? Perhaps these He combed his fingers through his hair Withdrawing something glimmering And pulsing cannot be bought. Perhaps choices he gestured at the glittering gift in his hand spring up when history makes way for them. Perhaps they will grow like legends upon dead conquerors. He laughed, the glowing choice illuminating his face. I have many, but this one is most precious. It is from my... He stopped swallowing his sentence. From a friend. He... Well, we had a thousand choices between us, but not the one we wanted. And may I have it? Asked Suda. It is yours in return. For your services, said Alexander heavily. He clambered off his throne until he was kneeling before her. He bowed his head, revealing the alabaster flesh of his neck, and cupped his palms, extending them to her in an invisible oblation. Dear Sudat, will you make me into myth? Will you fuse me? into legend. Suda took a deep breath, staring at his hands. It angered her that something so precious could be given away so easily. For a moment, she didn't hear the revels. Before her was a universe, an irreversible moment of before and after. What would become of her if she took the choice The thought left her weightless, but what would happen if she didn't take it? That she knew with perfect clarity. Nothing. A life of stone and poison. She reached out, fingers trembling, as she stole the choice from his palm. Yes, she whispered and kissed him. She watched the last smile ossify before pulling him onto his throne. She arranged his hands across his lap, straightened his tunic, and smoothed his thin hair. She considered snatching the choices from the walls, but in the end chose not to. The one in her hands was the one she had earned. Anything else would have been false. Suda stole out of the tent. Creeping past the ivory port, the emerald hippocampus, and the voluptuous Apsaras, she stood on the shore of the river, her hands cupped tightly around the choice. The makara swam into view, blinking its luminous eyes. Time to go back already? That was fast. I'm not going back, she breathed. It laughed before coughing up half a fish spine. Silly girl, you don't have a choice. I do now, whispered Suda. The Makara slid onto the banks, tilting its head and staring at her cupped hands. What have you got there? Is it edible? I ate all the river fish. It's a choice. The Makara blinked at her. A real one? Suda took off her slippers and toed the grass. Immediately, the ground became a black and acrid halo. She took one look at the charred ground before popping the choice in her mouth. It lolled flatly on her tongue before she swallowed honeysuckle, pomegranate, pear. Instantly, something in the pith of red fought in a paroxysm of confusion. She could feel it extinguishing against her, lifting off her skin, plumping her cheeks, narrowing her girth and softening the unsettling black of her hair. When she touched the sari, it felt dull and inanimate between her fingers. She didn't feel it pulse against her, beckoning her home. It was just an ordinary skein of silk. The makara, inhaled sharply. You took it! His eyes widened. What are you going to do with it? Accept it, she said with a grin. She sucked in her breath, staring at the blackened halo around her. It was like the first time she first understood the rule. The time when she stopped being a girl and became a weapon. If she stepped out of this ring, what then? She was too old to be a girl, too independent to be a weapon. What would she be next? What would she do next? She could lift her arms and try to scrape a star off the sky. She could luxuriate in sillness and silence and silk. She could eat things other than poison. Rose petal candies rolled in silver flakes, guavas with sunset flesh. She could taste what had long been denied. Monsoon rain, the soft violet of evening air, or even a kiss. All that mattered was that it didn't matter. Whatever she did, it would be her choice. Still holding her breath, Suda walked out of the circle. Anand Vyas, y'all. Anand Vyas. Anand Vyas. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And now, my conversation with Roshni Chokshi. I, I, I love that story so, so much. Um, you have said about this story, about the Vishakanya's choice, that that you submitted it to a contest? I did. Yeah? yeah. Y- you heard about a contest, and, and, and the, the assignment was to write a first contact story.
2: Yes. That right? Touch. Yep.
0: And you just flipped the script, didn't you? <laughs> you? You didn't write about first contact in the Star Trek sense. <laughs> you wrote about first contact
2: yeah right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> amazing thank you amazing I don't know
2: well, oh yeah it's pretty dark I was like sitting in my seat just doing this I'm really sorry to anyone who was around me as I was nervously scratching at myself were you yes it's, it's so strange how does it amazing. feel how, does it, how,
0: how did it feel I I I I wonder what goes on in the minds of you I mean, authors. Was re,
2: this story was remade by the alchemy of you. Ah. Uh, like, truly, it really was. But I am, <laughs> you're amazing. Uh, I am one of those authors who cannot listen to my audiobooks. I just cringe and then I like puddle into the floor and I evaporate. <laughs>
0: Well, I am I am glad you are in solid form for this for this conversation. Just
2: for the next hour. Yeah, for the next hour,
0: please. Yeah. Um, let's talk about first contact. Okay. Um, um, let's talk about the other first contact, the one that I think that that they probably intended for you to write a story about. <laughs> um, because I don't know, I'm very optimistic. I I I also don't believe that Um, you know, we are the only sentient life in the vastness of this universe, and that sooner or later, perhaps when we get our shit together, um, other life will reach out and And make contact. And I (laughs) I think a lot about who I would want to represent humanity. Right in a first contact scenario, and I, these are the it's kind of shit I think about.
2: I would, I would 100% nominate you. <laughs> yes. Well. Yes. I feel like they would just be like, maybe we won't colonize you. We'll just like let you, you know, hang out.
0: Well, I, I will tell you this. For my own part, I would, I would populate that that group with women and women of color. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Yes. <laughs>
0: And, I mean, I'd have representation. Everyone would be represented, but old white men would be a small voice in the back. (laughs) No offense to any older white gentleman in the audience. I I, I love you. Um, And old white men have been a scourge on the earth for a long freaking time.
2: You said it, I didn't.
0: <laughs> Come at me.
2: Yes, him, not, I, not I me. I will cite <laughs> chapter
0: and verse. Chapter and verse. So aside from me, who might you nominate to be in such a group making first contact?
2: <clears throat> I, I really think that the Muppets would go over well. <laughs> no. You know, because you don't know what they think. They may show up to an empty Hummer in a parking lot right. and be like, tell me about yourself. And right. this, and you, they have no concept. Right. Is this a human? What's a hand? Right. Are you just in the little skin glove? I'm sorry. So I think, <laughs> I think, I think, I think Muppets are great.
0: I think that's, I, a, fun, I that's think a fine that's, idea.
2: I also would want to put something in front that... Uh, you can't kill immediately, so that yeah. a person could just slip away. I think my children's fantasy author is showing. But I, I agree with what you said. We do totally need representation, and we spectrum, do. and also safety. Yeah. And and someone who can explain, this is a human. <laughs> <laughs> <stop. laughs> <Sorry.
0: laughs> See, I didn't think of that. I didn't think we'd, we'd, we'd need someone to explain what a, a lot human of is. A self-preservation
2: instincts. Yeah. I don't know why I became a writer. That doesn't <laughs> make sense.
0: Well, that's really interesting, because you, you, you call yourself a, a self-preservationist, but you're you're also this really open soul. How do you reconcile the two?
2: i have raised really well. My yeah. parents are wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm the, I'm the product of diaspora. And yeah. My father's from India. My mother's from the Philippines. I was in my first year of law school when I dropped out uh, because I got a book deal. And I was like, I'm going to move into the basement. And they were like, this is exactly why we, we immigrated. Um, to, wow. For you to wow. do this. <laughs> Just, <laughs> <laughs>
0: What a gift.
2: <laughs> that is you know, I say that no, now. Really? I do. What a gift. I, when I when I'm home now, I, I stroll downstairs in my, my panda pajamas and I'm just like, you are blessed. <laughs> just, I love you. But but that's what I mean by openness. That yeah. you, you need people around you and stories that make you feel seen and people who encourage you yeah. to to try and to fail. Right. And that they will be there at the end.
0: I, I consider that, that it is a luxury to be able to contemplate the future. If you are of a generation, and there have been many preceding our presence here, if you are of a generation that had to work and toil and strive to f- provide for your family, assimilate into this American Thing, this experiment that we're doing, you did not possess the luxury of dwelling in your imagination. Yes. The sacrifice that that generation has made for us is that they have given us the luxury to be able to contemplate our future. It's a great gift.
2: It is
0: a great it's gift. It's a great
2: Sometimes gift. Sometimes we misuse it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. And we're going to open it up to questions and answers from from, from the audience. But there are a couple of things that I I wanted to just run by you. Things that I have read that you have said. Oh, no. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Find time just to refresh your soul with someone else's words. Oh, yeah. That is such amazing
2: advice. Yay! I'm glad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't think so before.
2: No, I sometimes. I sometimes emotionally black out when I say something intelligent. Okay. I'm just right. like. You know what I mean? You're just like. You should like, write I will this one down. This one's back. really good. <laughs> go
0: this, <laughs> this, find time just to refresh your soul with someone else's words. I like that. That's beautiful. Good job. That's yes.
2: Ross of the past. Yes.
0: Right. <laughs> Here's one.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> that
0: got my attention. Okay. All right? You're talking about writing. The minute that I waver on the voice, I've lost the whole thread of the story. That is true. It doesn't matter if the plot is there, if the voice isn't there, the soul of it's gone. That is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're deep.
2: Well, I'm so glad you think that because, um, so yesterday he followed me on Twitter and I panicked. I was like, oh no, because I have, yesterday I was going on this long tirade about how, did you see this? I did not. Okay.
0: But I will now. Oh no.
2: I, guys, I was defending myself about writing a Santa Claus origin story. I was like, why is he in the North Pole? Why does he make toys for kids? What does it mean to have a manifestation of generosity in winter? And everyone was like, it's a Coca Cola ad. Sit down. <laughs> 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 but I, I thought that he saw that and was going to be like, is this really like, what she thinks about? <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> In your own defense, (laughs) you're the woman who, when writing Sailor Moon fan fiction, incorporated Indian gods and goddesses (laughs) into those fanfic stories. So you, my dear, uh, are always flipping the script on us. Um, (laughs) I think that's one of the things I love most about you. Thank you. Is that you take what you're given and you, you meld in, you bring in the old, you mix it with the new, you forge something that we haven't experienced before. You're a storyteller, woman, a storyteller.
2: <laughs> Tell my parents.
0: <laughs> Rashi Chachowski. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith. We had help from Audrey Noh. The episode was edited by Brendan Burns. Music was provided by Anand Vyas, and you can find his music at his website, anandvyas.org. And a huge thanks to Roshni Chakshi. She has some incredible novels out there in addition to her short fiction. Check out her middle-grade novel, Aru Shah and the End of Time, and her upcoming young adult book, The Gilded Wolves, which is coming out next Tuesday, January 15th. Now, if you love the show and want to help other people find it, give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And while you're leaving a review, why not suggest a story for the show? LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon and Ginny Radalette-Mast of the Flying Radalette Sisters and LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. I'll see you next time. But you don't have to take my word for it.
1: Stitcher.